I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Explorers Guild and thank you for tuning in. This is a podcast that explores the stories of different gaming universes to satisfy the curiosity of those who aren't into the game. This episode will centre on the story of the Lich King in the huge MMORPG that is World of Warcraft. As always, a disclaimer that I am not a lore master and I may have mispronounced a couple bits here and there, but I'm just sharing the cool stories I've been interested in during my journey through gaming. Once again, I'd recommend watching my first episode in this series to give a bit of universal backstory for context. The Lich King is an incredibly imposing figure, centre of his own DLC entitled The Wrath of the Lich King, and easily identifiable as the big armour-clad lad with glowing blue eyes and a sick sword. He commands an army of undead, and while originally those armies were set to decimate Azeroth, they're somewhat under control with the Lich King as a sort of neutral party as things stand right now. But here's how things all started. Titans once ruled the universe and sought to nurture the souls of planets. One of the Titans found out that a dark force known as the Void was trying to corrupt one of these world souls and found out that it would create a being so powerful it would wipe out life as they know it and create a corrupted universe. This Titan, Sargeras, decided the only way to stop this inevitable corruption would be to destroy all the remaining world souls so that none could be corrupted, effectively destroying everything in creation. The other titans disagreed, so Sargeras sought out his own army to make his goal happen, finding a prison planet infested with demons, shattering their chains, and making them into his own army. But not before being corrupted by the demonic energy himself, which, while different to the void corruption, is still a terrifying power in its own right. Sargeras found another planet called Argus, where he convinced two of the leaders to join his cause. These would become his second in rank, demon lords with unimaginable power called Kil'jaeden and Archimonde. The third leader on the planet, Velen, refused to join Sargeras and fled with the planet's remaining inhabitants that hadn't been turned into demons, and Kil'jaeden would never forgive him for what he considered to be a betrayal. Kil'jaeden was tasked with finding as many races across the universe as he could and convincing them to join the Burning Legion, their demonic army, while Sargeras and Archimon teamed up to crusade against the galaxy and destroy countless numbers of planets. Sargeras's Burning Legion would eventually find their way to our planet of Azeroth, where they would attempt to invade the planet's surface, but were thwarted at the last step. Their demonic armies were defeated and the planet suffered for the violence that had been wrought upon it. Sargeras knew Azeroth held power unlike any other world soul he had ever seen, so he fixated on conquering this planet once and for all. His next attempt involved infiltrating the body of a powerful mage, whispering to her unborn child and corrupting him from within. 
this child would go on to become another magically powerful guardian named Medivh, who, possessed by the Titan, would open up a portal that would allow another army to invade their planet. Medivh was helped by an orc called Gul'dan, who came from a planet called Draenor, similarly manipulated by Sargeras' forces and commanding a fearsome army of orc warriors. When Velen refused to take Sargeras' offer, he fled with the people who had not become demons and named themselves after their mother's tongue word for exiled, Draenei. His best friend also sold out his wife and son to the Burning Legion when they tried to escape. Kil'jaeden chased these new Draenei led by Velen across the universe for thousands of years until Velen evaded their efforts and landed upon a planet they named Draenor. Upon this planet, there already resided lots of clans of orcs, and the Draenei and orcs lived side by side in an amicable fashion, which went well for quite some time. But inevitably, Kil'jaeden found them, and rather than showing his hand outright, decided to take a subtler approach, exacting his vengeance against his former friend and carrying out his master Sargeras' plans simultaneously. To do this, Kil'jaeden found a lonely, misshapen orc called Gul'dan. He was desperate for respect, acceptance, and above all, power. Lots of power. The demon whispered to the orc warlock when he was at his lowest point, offering him powerful fell energy, and Gul'dan could just not resist. In truth, Gul'dan hated the other orcs, and when Kil'jaeden asked him to use the orcs to fight a war against the Draenei on the planet, he was more than happy to comply. But Gul'dan would never inspire the orcs. He was too filled with hatred and inspired disgust in those who met him. So he needed another orc he could ally with and use. Here Gul'dan would find the Shadow Moon clan and befriend the elder shaman, Nezul, and the trap was set. Kil'jaeden appeared to Nezul as his long-dead lifemate and convinced him by lying to him that the Draenei were planning to mount an attack on their clans, that they must attack now to preserve their lives, and Nezul believed it. The orcs assembled and a war of extinction began on Drenel. The shaman would quickly realise he'd been duped, but not before it was too late, and Kil'jaeden stripped him of power, rendering him useless as Gul'dan began teaching any orcs who would listen about fell magic. This necromancy would drive away the spirits that gave the shaman their power, crippling them and their heritage. Eventually, Gul'dan inspired chieftains of the orc clans to drink the blood of a powerful demon beast, and their bloodlust was intensified. The demonically corrupted orcs finished their extinction campaign and looked for a new foe to vanquish. Sargeras saw this bloodthirsty army as a fantastic opportunity to weaken Azeroth and ordered Kil'jaeden to step back and not work directly with the orcs any longer. Kil'jaeden was pretty satisfied with the destruction of the Draenei and complied with his master's orders. Here, Medivh on the planet Azeroth would contact Gul'dan and tell him of the bountiful lands ripe for conquering that could be his and of the unspeakable power Sargeras had left behind on the planet itself. So together, they created a huge dark portal between the two worlds, and the orcish horde army flooded through to conquer Azeroth. They were quite successful for some time, and the human inhabitants were forced to flee their kingdoms and converge in the north against the strange new brutal foe. This would be the beginning of Azeroth as we currently know it. An alliance was formed between the human kingdoms to gather their forces and push back against the threat of the horde, and many fights broke out, 
the Horde seeking to establish dominance led by their new warchief, Orgrim Doomhammer, and the Alliance looking to defeat this threat and return things to how they were. Neither would get their way. The Orcs' home planet of Draenor was dying, ruined as they sapped it of any goodness during their efforts on Azeroth. The Horde had to find a way to make a future for themselves here on Azeroth, no matter the cost. Gul'dan would perish after his greed got the better of him. He found the tomb of Sargeras that held the juicy demonic power that Sargeras had left behind on his first attempt at an invasion, but that very same power had already attracted swarms of deadly demons, and when he tried to enter that tomb, they tore him apart piece by piece. The Horde's armies tried their best to defeat the humans in the north of the kingdoms, but Gul'dan's greed cost them dearly, and their forces were decimated. The Horde would come under new leadership, their tattered remnants picked up and ferried west across the seas to the continent of Kalimdor, and led by the relative pacifist that was their new warchief thrall. The Alliance were left to pick up the pieces of the war that had devastated their lands, and the Kingdom of Stormwind was slowly rebuilt. The High Elves in the far north who had allied with the Alliance decided they no longer wanted to be part of the joint effort, seeing themselves as above the petty squabbles of mankind, and they decided to re-establish their independence. The human kingdom of Gilneas, surrounded by a huge, safe-looking wall, felt the same way and followed suit, their king, Gen Greymane, believing their army and the wall combined would be enough to withstand any enemies that came their way, and as much as it could do, life went on. That summarises much of the backstory of how the Lich King came to be. In the north of the Eastern Kingdoms, where the humans had made their final desperate stand against the Horde, was the Kingdom of Lordaeron, ruled by King Teranus Menethil. King Teranus took the new, young King of Stormwind, Varian Rin, under his wing, helping him in these tricky times, and Varian and Teranus's son Arthas became close friends. The kingdoms somewhat recovered from the brutal wars and settled into a time of relative peace. Meanwhile, on Draenor, Nurzel had inherited control of the remaining orc clans on the planet during the first two wars and felt somewhat responsible for the destruction of life as the orcs had known it. When the dark portal between Draenor and Azeroth was destroyed by the Alliance after the second war, it caused a shockwave that ran through the portal and Nurzel was caught in the blast. Badly injured, he could not lead the Draenor Horde, and infighting broke out among the clans. They needed something to bring them together, and for this bloodthirsty rabble, that meant new lands to conquer. Nazul eventually recovered and worked with a being called Gorfiend, one of Gul'dan's Death Knights, to open new portals on Draenor and gather artifacts from Azeroth, like the Skull of Gul'dan, the Book of Medivh, and the Scepter of Sargeras. When they found the Skull of Gul'dan, it spoke to Nazul, influencing him with its evil, corrupted vibe, and began to change the fundamentals of Nazul's personality, making him power-hungry and uncaring. He sought to create his own dark portal by utilising the power of the ley lines on Draenor. One point of these ley line convergences was of course taken by Gul'dan's original portal, but there was a second convergence of energy that would be the perfect spot, and Nazul stopped giving a single care for the Horde clans he was supposed to be commanding. He had power unlike anything he had ever dreamed of. He didn't need the Horde anymore. He ordered his loyal followers through the portal and abandoned the rest of the Orcish Horde on Draenor. 
The spell that conjured the portal collapsed as soon as he passed through, shattering the husk of the planet of Drenor and creating the realm we now know as Outland. Unfortunately for Nurzul, he ran straight into the hands of the demon lord Kil'jaeden. Kil'jaeden was still pretty mad about Gul'dan's selfish betrayal that his lust for power had led to, and he knew he had to take more direct control over the Horde and pull them together to enact their true purpose. They weren't going to conquer and weaken Azeroth with all their infighting and free wills running around. Kil'jaeden decided to take action, and after capturing Nerzul, the demon took a sadistic pleasure in taking out his anger on the shaman, torturing him relentlessly for a terrifying amount of time, until only his soul remained. And once the shaman's very being was shattered, Kil'jaeden gave him a choice. Be in eternal pain, or command an army of the dead. And so, the Lich King was born. Taking no chances at potential betrayal this time, Kil'jaeden did not give the Lich King a body. He bound the soul to a helmet called the Helm of Domination and trapped him inside the frozen throne. With the promise of a body and freedom if he succeeded in his quest to use his army of undead to weaken Azeroth and prepare for the real invasion of the demonic burning legion. The Lich King's power was now even more considerable than Nazul's had been and the Dreadlords were sent to keep him on task. And so, the Frozen Throne, a diamond-like cask that encased Nazul's spirit and the incredibly cool armour with the Helm of Domination, landed in Northrend in Azeroth, where this new Lich King and his Dreadlords, led by one Tychondrius, got to work. Here they would have none of the petty squabbles and infighting to distract them from their cause. They would not fail like the Horde had. The Lich King had been gifted incredible psychic powers along with the obvious necromancy, and he used these psychic abilities and telepathy to enslave local life forms in Northrend and bind them to his will. With every soul, the Lich King grew in power, like he was feeding off the life force he stole from them, and over time the whole of Northrend succumbed to its immense power. Nazul was not content with lifetime servitude to the demon, no matter what lip service he paid, and slowly he enacted his own plan to earn his freedom, pushing his sword from his icy prison bit by bit, ever so slowly, knowing someone would eventually take the bait. In the meantime, the next step required a proxy to work through, and through his psychic calls across Azeroth, a maverick mage named Kel'Thuzad was attracted to the Frozen Throne and enslaved, creating the very first member of the Cult of the Damned, who would go on to worship the Lich King fanatically. But first, Kel'Thuzad would need to populate this cult, because it was no fun worshipping all alone. He returned to Lordaeron alongside another dreadlord, Malganus, and sought out like-minded individuals, nomads who had perhaps dabbled in a tiny bit of necromancy themselves off the books. It was surprisingly easy, and over the next three years, their numbers swelled. Entire villages began to secretly be controlled by the Cult of the Damned, and it was time for Phase 2. The Lich King created artifacts he imbued with his own plague energies, cauldrons that were taken to these villages and protected by the cultists, where it infected the food stores and spread through the Northlands with stunning ferocity. Every innocent person it infected died 
to be reanimated as liches, willing servants of their lich king, the first of the Scourge. In this time, the kingdoms of Lordaeron and Stormwind were rebuilding and settling into their new reality when rumours arose of a devastating plague hitting the Northlands and infecting all those who encountered it. Prince Arthas, the paladin son of the King of Lordaeron, was sent to investigate alongside the Alliance mage, Jaina Proudmoore. When they arrived, they were shocked to see the rapid destruction of the villages and quickly deduced that the food supply at the granary was contaminated. They found Kel'Thuzad and pursued him as he fled, hoping to stop the grain from shipping and causing more catastrophe. However, it was too late. The grain had already shipped to the nearby villages, dooming them to their undead fate. Arthas would turn to Kel'Thuzad to answer for his crimes, slaying him quickly, hoping that would end the problem. But of course it did not, because unbeknownst to Arthas and Jaina, Kel'Thuzad was not the source. The Alliance heroes were chased by armies of undead, and the more they defeated, the more seemed to appear. Jaina was sent to find reinforcements in the form of the Paladin Uther, who arrived just in time to save Arthas from certain defeat. They continued on to try and save the city of Stratholme before it was too late, and on the path their group was met by a mysterious prophet who implored them to travel west to the continent of Kalimdor. Arthas quite understandably argued that he could not just abandon his people for the words of a strange wizard man and ignored the advice, ploughing onwards on his journey. But when they arrived at Stratholme, the grain from the infected granary had already been distributed. It was only a matter of time before every single one of the innocent villagers within turned into mindless devoted zombies of overwhelming numbers. Arthas knew this and decided the only way to mitigate the threat would be to murder every single villager where they stood before they could turn. He ordered his knights and Uther to carry out this task, but Uther refused. Arthas wasn't actually in any position to be giving out orders, especially not ones of this magnitude. Arthas was furious, branding Uther a traitor to Lordaeron, accusing him of treason and relieving him and his paladins from duty. Half of Arthas' army, his paladins, Uther and Jaina left, refusing to kill the innocents, and those loyal to Arthas stayed behind while the culling of Stratholme began. As their weapons sliced through the screaming citizens, who most likely had no idea what was really going on, the dreadlord Malganis appeared, trying to claim their souls before Arthas could stop him. They challenged one another, but Marganus was not interested in a fight, and told Arthas to meet him in Northrend before departing. Arthas set the city of Stratholme aflame, fires that still burn to this day, before pursuing Marganus, intending to destroy this demon before he could cause any more death. As they journeyed north into Northrend, Arthas and his loyal army came across the Dwarven Explorers League, led by Muradin Bronzebeard, who were besieged by the undead and were searching for a powerful weapon they'd heard about that could potentially turn the tides of the battle against the Scourge. It's also worth mentioning that Muradin Bronzebeard isn't just any dwarf, he is the young brother of the Dwarven King Magni Bronzebeard. Arthas and Muradin set off together, but it wasn't long before Arthas and his armies got word from back home. 
His father, Taranus, and Paladin Uther wanted him to return home immediately. The Arthas was not prepared to give up his crusade that easily. He found a group of mercenaries in the locality, and knowing his army would be obediently heading for their ships so they could sail back home, like they were supposed to, he planned to get there first. With the mercenaries' help, they set fire to and destroyed all of their own ships, effectively ruining any chance of any of their armies hoping to return back home. And when said armies arrived shortly after, Arthas turned the blame on the mercenaries he had hired. Muradin ordered the mercenaries be killed, none the wiser to Arthas's deception, and believed him when he insisted the only way they could survive was through securing a victory in Northrend. The search for this powerful, fabled weapon, a rune blade called Frostmorn, intensified as Malganus's armies pushed the paladin and dwarf closer and closer to their goal, and at last they found what they were looking for. An impressive two-handed longsword, once belonging to Nerzul, glowing blue and fearsome, and sitting above an inscription that read, Whomsoever takes up this blade shall wield power eternal. Just as the blade rends flesh, so must power scar the spirit. Muradin saw this inscription and realized at once that there was more to the blade than met the eye. It was cursed, and whoever took it up would surely lose their humanity. He pleaded with Arthas to ignore his desire for vengeance lest he be lost, but the young, headstrong paladin was determined to save his homeland, whatever the cost. As soon as he said this aloud, the ice surrounding Frostmourne shattered dramatically, exploding, with a chunk striking Muradin and knocking him out. Arthas ignored the sword and immediately began to help his old friend and former tutor until the Lich King began whispering. Believing Muradin to be dead, Arthas turned his attention to the sword and took it for his own, seeking once again to find the demon Lord Marganus and finally finish the fight, and unknowingly sealing his eternal fate, for the sword was designed to corrupt the wielder's soul bit by bit until nothing remained. Morganus was still engaged with Arthas' armies where they'd been left to fight, and the renegade prince of Lordaeron swiftly destroyed the demon's base. They stood before each other once again. The Lich King continued to whisper to Arthas, urging him to destroy Morganus where he stood, and Morganus, who mistakenly believed they were finally to begin working together, to his horror, was slain. This would be the last straw for Arthas' soul. The remnants of his sanity shattered and the Lich King whispering him to the cursed Runeblade, Arthur succumbed to his new destiny. He became the first of the Lich King's Death Knights, warriors of dark magic who would serve under the Frozen Throne, and others like him soon joined the ranks, paladins and warriors whose souls were twisted to serve as generals of the Scourge. Some of these would be Arthas's own men, who he murdered himself and raised to life once more in his service pretty messed up. What's even more messed up is what happens next. The new Arthas, returning home to Lordaeron to much joy from his father and the kingdom, he was alive and well and the heir to the throne was not lost after all. He met with his father, the king, and knelt before him, ruminating on his father's leadership, before taking Frostmourne in hand and driving it straight into his own father's heart. 
He celebrated this by unleashing the scourge upon the capital city of Lordaeron, which until now had been well defended, withstanding attacks from the Old Horde and the Undead. He went on to seek the revival of Kel'Thuzad, yep, the necromancer he himself had slain not too long ago. Kel'Thuzad's remains were in bad shape and needed special, powerful treatment to be reanimated, something only available in the part of northern Lordaeron held by the Blood Elves. He also needed to acquire a means of transportation that would allow the delicate remains to get there in one piece. And that turned out to be inside the very urn that held his father's ashes. Arthur's had no problem slaying the paladins who guarded the urn and facing a furious Uther Lightbringer who condemned the Death Knight to a special place in hell. Arthur's, who had gone off the deep end, responded that he planned to live forever before delivering the killing blow to the great paladin and taking the urn to the Sunwell in the north. The High Elves who created and oversaw the Sunwell had no idea of the threat they were about to face. Aloof and addicted to the energies of the Sunwell, they had defected from the Alliance after the first Horde invasion and stood alone, certain of their abilities to push back any threats that faced them. But they'd never seen a threat quite like this. The undead armies were spotted by scouts who quickly ran to tell their ranger general of the advance. The ranger general rallied her group of elite rangers and ventured out to meet with Arthas one-to-one. -one. This would be the first meeting of Sylvanas Windrunner and the Death Knight Arthas, and unfortunately for Sylvanas, it would be a significant turning point that would change her to her core. She fearlessly told Arthas to stand down and turn back, and Arthas responded by beginning the undead assault on Silvermoon, the high elf capital. It was soon clear to Sylvanas and her rangers that this was not a foe that would be beaten easily, if at all. Her only hope would be the magisters at the Sunwell, that they would have been informed of the threat and would be working on a counter while she held the mindless scourge at bay. She used her ingenuity to place roadblocks, destroying bridges that connected the major gates before the city, but Arthur simply ordered the minions of death to create a bridge from their own bodies. And lacking any mental fortitude to refuse, they did. They continued to clash as Sylvanas's forces retreated. She coordinated aerial assaults and did her utmost to be a huge thorn in Arthur's side, frustrating him as he drew ever closer to his goal. Their final stand would be an unfair battle, a one-on-one -on -one against Arthas himself, armed with Frostmourne and filled with unholy power. Arthas impaled the Ranger General with his Runeforge blade, and as she lay dying, she begged for a clean warrior's death, but Arthas had no intention of giving her anything like the eternal peace she felt she deserved after her hard-fought loss, and as her soul drifted and she passed from the world, she was gripped with a sudden agony worse than death itself. Her soul was dragged back into the world, and Sylvanas was turned into a banshee, bound to Arthas's will, but left with her self-awareness so she could witness the destruction of her people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Scourge decimated Silvermoon, almost entirely wiping out the High Elves and finishing their quest to reanimate Kel'Thuzad as an undead lich, who would then go on to assault the mage city of Dalaran and steal the Book of Medivh, to summon the demon lord Archimond to Azeroth. When Archimond arrived, he took control of the undead away from the Lich King and Arthas, basically demoting them, and gave it to one of his dreadlords, so the Scourge could work in sync with the demonic armies of the Burning Legion. After all, this was their intended purpose, weaken Azeroth and summon the demons to begin a full-scale invasion under the watchful eye of the Tartan Sargeras, and they'd accomplished it. For Arthas and the Lich King, this was a bit of a slap in the face to be discarded so readily. They lay not quite dormant, but they took a back seat in the grand scheme of things while the demonic invasion began and Kalimdor was ravaged. They schemed revenge and used a disgraced night elf to stay at large rather than remaining forgotten for eternity, even if it meant defying the demons who had granted them the power they held. This particular night elf, Illidan Stormrage, is a figure involved heavily in the interactions between demons and those on Azeroth. When 10,000 years ago the Burning Legion first invaded, Azara, Queen of the Highborn, was the one to aid them in accessing Azeroth, mistakenly believing Sargeras to be a god and sympathising with his desire to cleanse the universe. Illidan and his twin brother Malfurion saw through the treachery and defected from their queen's leadership, and Malfurion knew the only way to stop the invasion would be by destroying the Well of Eternity, the source of the elves' magic and immortality, and the source of the Legion's invasion. Illidan was horrified by this idea because, truth be told, he was a fan of the power the Well allowed him to access. He was brash, believing sacrifice of his people would be the only way to defeat the Legion, and he came up with a daring plan to infiltrate the Legion's ranks and close the portal that allowed them through into Azeroth. But he needed lots of power. He asked the casters in the Moonguard he commanded to transfer their power to him, rather than casting their own spells, and at one point went too far, draining them to death, but he still needed more power. He eventually attracted the attention of Sargeras himself, who misinterpreted Illidan's plan and decided to gift him for his allegiance. Illidan's body was covered in fell tattoos by Sargeras. His eyes were burned out and replaced with orbs of mystic fire that allowed him to see all forms of magic. And he saw the true nature of the Legion, vast spread out across the universe and knew the battle for the cosmos was much bigger than just the fight here on Azeroth. He works with Malfurion and they managed to close the dark portal after some effort, but this disabilized the Well of Eternity. Seeing its inevitable destruction, Illidan took vials of the magic water from the well, desperate not to lose it, and fled as the well shattered, destroying ancient Kalimdor 
and creating the maelstrom we have today. On the iconic Mount Hyjal, Illidan took his vials of the well water and poured them into a small, tranquil lake, succeeding in making a new well of eternity. But when Malfurion and the other elves found out, they were horrified. Nothing good could come of this well filled with chaotic energies and tainted by destruction. Illidan was foolish and addicted to the magic, but Illidan was certain that should the Burning Legion return, magic would be their only hope. So he was imprisoned deep beneath the mountain where he lay for the next 10,000 years, while his brother Malfurion and his love interest Tyrande Whisperind became lifelong mates and took their places as leaders of the Night Elves. During the Burning Legion's second invasion of Kalimdor, he was released by Tyrande who hoped he would prove an ally against the demons once more, but Arthas found him first. Arthas told Illidan of the skull of Gul'dan and all the powers that rested within, and Illidan, having apparently not learned a thing in his lengthy imprisonment, could not resist such temptation. He took the skull of Gul'dan and consumed the fell energy within, transforming into a demon to defeat the dreadlord Tychondrius, who had been gifted the Lich King's power over the Scourge. Upon seeing his transformation, Malfurion was once again horrified and confounded at his brother's choices, he decided to banish him once and for all from the forests of the elves. With Tychondrius dead, the legion was weakened and defeated. Kil'jaeden was quite unhappy, Nazul had managed to turn on him once again, and the demon lord was sick to the back teeth of the free will of these meddling creatures ruining his plans. He approached Illidan and asked him to destroy the Lich King. And despite everything, Illidan was still hell-bent on ensuring the eventual destruction of the Burning Legion, so he saw this as a good opportunity to learn more about them from the inside. And the promise of untold power probably helped a bit too. As you might be figuring out, Illidan wasn't really too bothered about making allies or racking up the sworn enemy count. Without going into detail, he almost succeeded in destroying the Frozen Throne, using a spell that reportedly shattered the Lich King's defences and ruptured the very roof of the world. Hmm. The spell was also causing great damage to the rest of the world, something Malfurion could not abide. He intervened before the spell could complete, but enough damage had been done. The Lich King's powers were waning, leaking from the throne, and as such, Arthas's power also began to wane. Losing his grip over control of the Banshees, Sylvanas, Banshee Queen, roused a group of rebel undead and stoked the flames of civil war, capturing Lordaeron for her own newly christened army of Forsaken. Arthas was forced to Northrend back to the Frozen Throne to defend the Lich King from Illidan, who had turned to a more direct approach and was assaulting the throne directly. Despite Illidan's demon power, he was bested in combat, but Arthas declined to follow through with killing him, instead warning him to leave Azeroth and never return. Arthas turned his attention to the Frozen Throne, his head filled with the voices of people he'd betrayed, overwhelming him as he ascended, until only one voice remained, the raspy Ner'zhul. Return the blade, complete the circle, release me from this prison! Arthas took Frostmourne in hand, raised it high above his head, and plunged it into the Frozen Throne, shattering the crystal ice and freeing the armour within. The helm of domination released from its prison rolled to a stop at Arthas's feet. 
He picked it up and placed it on his head, fusing the soul of Nezul contained within the helmet with his own, creating one of the most powerful entities on Azeroth. Arthur's was no longer a death knight. He and Nazul shared the consciousness of the Lich King, and eventually, while they lay dormant for years as their minions rebuilt the area around the throne, known as Icecrown Citadel, Arthas wrested mental control from Nazul entirely. Arthas was now the Lich King in entirety, with no one to answer to. This was the rebirth. When he awoke, he removed his own heart, the last bastion of the weakness that tied him to humanity. The Lich King grew his armies, trained his death knights in Ice Crown, great fallen heroes reborn under his servitude, and began a new age of the Scourge. The continents of Azeroth had largely known peace since the defeat of the Legion years before. The Scourge threat had diminished as the Lich King lay in wait, growing in power and planning his next move, and finally it was time to act. Mirroring the initial attack on Lordaeron, infected grain was sent to the capitals of Azeroth, tainting all who touched it. The only hope for the Alliance and Horde alike was through an organisation called the Argent Dawn, whose members included Alliance, Horde, and Forsaken, and who wanted to fight any and all evil that threatened Azeroth. They had the means to treat the infected, but the Scourge was relentless. The Lich King wanted to fight every powerful adversary on Azeroth to force their best warriors north to his domain, so he could turn them as he once had also been turned. He first wanted to defeat the Argent Dawn as they complicated his plans and got in his way, and he sent the Scourge to attack Light's Hope Chapel, a small church that stood above catacombs that housed many of the heroes of Lordaeron and acted as a base for the Argent Dawn's resistance. The chapel has quite a bit of its own history, but the main thing to know is the importance of a certain sword once owned by a paladin nicknamed Ashbringer. Ashbringer, a hero of the Second War, was murdered by his own son and raised into undeath as a death knight. The sword he wielded was no ordinary sword, created as a counter to a dark magic orb. The Ashbringer contained a crystal of pure holy light, one of the only relics that could truly kill an undead. The betrayal of a son killing his own father caused the sword to become corrupted. And in another twist, the father, now a death knight, would be challenged by his youngest son years later and would lose. This son, Darian Mugarin, took the blade but found the crystal contained his father's corrupted soul, and during an attack on the chapel by the Scourge, Darian took Ashbringer and ran it through his own chest to free his father's soul in an act of love. In doing so, Darian damned his own soul and became a Death Knight himself, wielding the corrupted Ashbringer as his own. So the Lich King sent his Scourge down to Light's Chapel once more, including the Death Knight, Darian, and the Argent Dawn was slowly but surely being beaten back and defeated one by one. The prognosis looked bleak until Supreme Commander and hero, Tyrion Fordring, showed up to bolster the defence and push them back, and he fought hard. As they took stock of their victory, the Lich King arrived to face them directly claiming he cared not for the smiting of his own death knights, they were expendable. It was all worth it for Tyrion to have been forced out of hiding. Darian overheard this and realised 
He'd been betrayed by his leader, thrown away like cannon fodder, and had a sudden change of heart. He threw his powerful sword, the corrupted Ashbringer to Tyrion, who used his own holy faith and the power of the consecrated land of the chapel to cleanse it of the corruption, freeing himself from the Lich King's incapacitating spell and landing a blow on the powerful undead king. The Lich King retreats in disbelief, promising Fordring that there would absolutely be a next time and conditions would not be so favourable for the paladin when it came. And thus the Argent Dawn was saved for the time being, and Darien led a group of renegade death knights who felt betrayed and broke free from the Lich King's control alongside the Argent Dawn to fight against the Lich King. Together they found the location of Arthas's heart and decided that the last vestiges of his humanity might still remain inside this last human organ. It was a risk they had to believe in. Tyrion managed to gain access to the cathedral it was held in by posing as one of the Cult of the Damned, but when he found the heart, he realised it contained only darkness. So he took Ashbringer and destroyed the heart's remains, creating an explosion that would injure the Lich King and render Tyrion unconscious, while Darion and his knights carried Tyrion and fought their way out before the Lich King could recover. Not quite the successful trip they had hoped for. So the Argent Dawn held tournaments open to any and all factions, held in a coliseum with the intention to find the best combatants on Azeroth so they could all storm Northrend and face the Lich King, which was, at this point, their only hope of defeating him. And it also provided a little bit of entertainment during these dire times. This elite squad of Alliance, Horde, and Forsaken champions banded together to form the Argent Crusade, and they joined forces with Darien's Knights of the Ebonblade to form an alliance of their own, Ashen Verdict. The Ashen Verdict had one goal, travel to Northrend and assault Icecrown Citadel, defeating the Lich King and freeing Azeroth from the undead tyranny that had grown in intensity since the Legion's defeat years before. Pretty simple. And so the assault on Icecrown Citadel began, Sylvanas Windrunner and Jaina Proudmoore found an opening directly into the Lich King's private chambers, and while searching, found his infamous rune-forged blade, Frostmourn, completely unattended. Frostmourn had been created by demons, and so when the blade is used to slay someone, their soul becomes trapped inside the blade. Jaina and Sylvanas used this knowledge to commune with the spirits in the blade, eventually finding the soul of Uther Lightbringer, who informed them that, to truly die, the Lich King would need to be slain at the point in which Arthas and Nazul had merged, right at the top of the Frozen Throne, but that the Scourge would need a master. And if Arthas were to die, someone would need to take his place. Ashen Verdict continued to storm Icecrown Citadel, their power as champions of Azeroth allowing them to cleave through the Lich King's mightiest servants as they journeyed upwards through the Grand Icy Palace. And at the top, the Frozen Throne, now no longer a prison, but fashioned into a real throne on which Arthur sat, awaiting the attack. As they approach this final arena, Arthas encases Tyrion in a block of ice and taunts him, making him watch helplessly as he slaughters every single one of the champions who had come to face him with one devastating attack. Tyrion had been but a pawn in the great plan, gathering all the champions of Azeroth in one place to kill them all and raise them unto undeath, his favourite trick. 
This had all been a test to ascertain whether these truly were the greatest fighting force the world had ever known, and unfortunately for them, they'd passed. Though it seemed it was death either way. Arthas began casting his spell to raise the undead under his will, and Tyrion, in an act of final desperation, begged the light for one last blessing so he may save Azeroth from certain damnation. The light responded. Tyrion broke free from his icy prison and grasped for Ashbringer. He turned to the Lich King and shattered Frostmourne with one powerful blow from the light-infused sword, releasing the spirits trapped within. The unsettled spirits swarmed their murderer, suspending him in the air so he could do no more damage, while the spirit of his very own father, King Terranus Menethil, who he had murdered in cold blood, resurrected the champions atop the spire. The champions finished the job, and finally, after years of terrorizing Azeroth with armies of the undead, the Lich King fell. But of course, as Uther had warned, there must always be a Lich King. The Scourge would not lay idle or simply keel over without a master. They would run riot and destroy Azeroth all on their own. They needed to be controlled, and the only way to control them was through wearing the Helm of Damnation. Somebody would need to make a sacrifice, and fast. As Tyrion contemplated this inevitable future and decided he would be the one to bear the responsibility, he heard a faint voice nearby. Volvar Fordragon, a paladin, once a hero of the Alliance, who was presumed dead after an earlier siege of Citadel gone wrong. He'd been devastatingly injured by Dragonfire and kept above the Frozen Throne, trapped and tortured by the Lich King. Only Bolvar's noble spirit had saved him from the corruption of the persuasion of the Lich King. The fight had freed him from his prison, but he would not be able to recover and live normally again. He asked Tyrion to place the Helm of Domination on his head as a final act of service to Azeroth. With a spirit so pure and strong, Tyrion knew Bolvar was their best hope to resist the temptation of the mantle, so he agreed. Bolvar became the Lich King and inherited control of all those Arthas had bound to the will of the sea, and his fate was kept a secret from the general population and even his own daughter, who he might know if you've played the most recent expansion. As Volvar struggled to get to grips with his new powers, his control over some of the minions under the Frozen Throne's command waned, and he lost control over a portion of them, most notably the Scourge in the Plaguelands, who now act alone without his influence, but generally still a result better than leaving the sea empty. The Lich King has sat atop Icecrown Citadel ever since this moment, playing a small part in some of the atrocities that followed Arthas's demise, ultimately trying to help Azeroth push back the never-ending threat of Sargeras' demonic legion. And that leads us up to Shadowlands. A lot has happened in the politics of Azeroth since then, especially within the Horde, and Sylvanas Windrunner is now more powerful and fearsome than ever before. And she's also now a lone wolf. Imbued with dark powers that are yet to be revealed, Sylvanas approached the Lich King at his throne and challenged him, Testing him in one-on-one -on -one combat and taking the Helm of Domination from Bolvar's head. Rather than taking the power for her own, as many expected her to do, she rendered the helmet in two, releasing the power within and tearing the veil between Azeroth and the Shadowlands. 
We shall see the consequences of these actions when the next expansion releases, but they don't seem to be too good. So that was much of the story of the Lich King. I hope I did it justice. And the World of Warcraft franchise is full of retcons and mysterious gaps in knowledge as the story evolves over the years. So sometimes getting things straight can be a little bit tricky, but I did give it my best shot. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Explorers Guild. Please let me know if you did. And uh, don't forget to give me some feedback on Instagram or Twitter at Leviathan. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'll see you next time. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.